Hello, this message is from Live Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Well, I stumbled up on this stage after battling through the Leeds 10K today. The Abbey Dash, a few weeks ago, when we announced that we were not doing an 11 a.m. because of the road, uh, the race on this road and doing a 6 p.m., I encouraged the church to come alongside the pastor and support and run alongside and help. Well, thanks to all of you who didn't. <laughs> I did it on your behalf, guys. And, uh, and uh, I enjoyed it, in fact. But um, the uh, other time I've ever done a run on a Sunday, I did a few, about 10, 12 years ago, I did the London Marathon as a favor for a friend. <laughs> not a good idea. Let the devil know, not today. <laughs> And I did the London Marathon, and at night I decided to go to church. And I went to a well-known church in London, HTB Church, quite quiet and conservative. And I was sitting in the middle, and then halfway through the preacher's preach, I got cramp in my legs. <laughs> and I literally started screaming in the service. They thought I was demon-possessed, but I was like, ah, ah, and they had to drag me out of the service. So hopefully tonight it won't be the same. But you never know. We're going to conclude our series, This Is Us, tonight, um, which we've been doing for the past couple, we did two weeks, and then uh, Steve was with us last week, and we're going to conclude it tonight, and then next Sunday, Bob Goff is here, and I, Bob Goff is like one of the world's best communicators and anointed speakers and travels the world, and so I encourage you, don't miss next week with Bob Goff, 11 a.m., just one uh, full service, but it's so good to see so many of you here out on a Sunday night. When it's dark and a little bit cold, so thank you so much for coming. Who knows, maybe next year we could look at an evening service. Who <laughs> We need a bit more response than that. Um, um, but the, if you missed the two weeks previous in this little series that we've been doing, we've been speaking about who sat at your table. We spoke about how a table is created not for one person, but for multiple people. And we asked the question to our church, you know, who is sat with you at your table? Do you have people sat? Jesus was very clear that he wanted people with him. The Bible says that Jesus would recline at the table, not just with his disciples, but he also reclined with people who were friends and people who were not so friendly to him. But he spent time at the table. Why? Because he chose not to do life on his own. And we want to encourage you as a church, every single one of you, not to do life on your own. Sometimes it's easier to do life on your own. But it's not better to do life on your own. Sometimes doing life on your own is a lot less problematic. But I believe it's not as beautiful as doing it with others. And we asked the question, who is sat at your table? And then in the second week, which was two weeks ago, I encourage you to listen to that message on SoundCloud. Because uh, it's, 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 some people have been speaking about it. I think hopefully we found it quite helpful. Because we spoke about, you know, when this is us becomes this was us. Does that make sense? When this is us becomes this was us in terms of there is some form of separation. And we looked at how Paul separated from Barnabas. They were two great friends in, on, in ministry together. But because of a sharp disagreement, there was a separation. There was a, a disunity amongst them. And as a result, both of them went their different ways. And we spoke about how in life that happens. Why? Because friendship and relationship is a tough thing to navigate. 
We spoke about how often many of the blessings on, in our life are down to relational, what we call fruitfulness, but many of the challenges in our world are down to relational fatigue. And we spoke about how in those relationships in our world, if there are relationships that change as a result of something, some form of disagreement or someone has moved or someone has said something or or whatever, it could be bad, it could be good, that we we choose to do one of three things, okay? Number one, we choose just to release the relationship. And we choose just to release it. And that's not a bad thing, but we choose to release it. Or number two, to reconcile and to bring it to some form of peace. Or number three, to bring it to a place of restoration, And we hope that message spoke to you. And tonight we're going to conclude this uh, little mini-series and we hope it's going to be helpful. And then we're going to pray and then we're going to eat burritos in the uh, hub um, tonight for those of you that want to stay on for some food. Leeds United are top of the league. It's just the way we roll. Today, when I was running, it was quite cool running past the church, waving to a building. (laughs) But I really needed the loo, but the church wasn't open, and um, so a tree had to do. Um, No, just just joking, just joking. Not, but um, how many of you know when you gotta go, you gotta go, especially when you're on a 10k. And some of you like you don't know what that means, so don't go. Yeah, because you don't know what that means. You know what 1k is. We don't know what 10k is, but. Matthew chapter 11, reading from verse 28 to 30. We're going to read two verses. It says this in the message version. It says, are you tired? No. Worn out, burnt out on religion, then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I love these lines and this is what I want to focus on tonight. It says, walk with me and work with me. Everybody say that. Walk with me and work with me. Let's say it again. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, un- learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. I love this line. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Walk with me and work with me. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 13 verse 20 that he who walks with the wise becomes wise. Solomon is basically saying who you choose to walk with has an impact on where you be- on who you become. Who you do life with determines where you go. Who you walk with determines where you go, but not also just where you go, but also how you get there. And I've come to realize in the few short 21 years of my life, (laughs) and a few more, don't be laughing at me, damn young people, I I, I have power, okay? I I don't really. Um, I've come to realize in the few short years of my life that the circumstances that we face in our life are not the greatest influences on your life. The greatest influences on your life are not your circumstances, It is the people you do life with. Sometimes we look at the circumstance and go, it is that circumstance which is causing me to to, to, to deal with this. But it's not actually the circumstance, it's actually the person. 
You see, you might look at me tonight and think I've got influence because I'm, I'm stood on a platform and with a microphone and that has a great influence on your life. But, but this, this doesn't have half as much influence on your life as the people who you choose to walk with. Because all of you tonight are going to leave this building and go home and to go to different homes and go to different friendships and go to different conversations and go to navigate different places this week with different people. They're going to have much of a greater influence than you, than, than I am here. In, in the same way, I often say to young people, you know, youth leaders have a great influence on young people's lives. But the greatest influence on a young person is, guess who? Another young person. Because it's not the circumstances, it's the people that we do life and who we walk with. And a couple of weeks ago, I was at Ellen Road, watching Leeds United. And um, Leeds were losing, and the other team, uh, a bit hostile in some of the tackles and the way fans were sort of giving it. And so the Leeds fans started giving it all sort of football atmosphere, which I sort of love, you know, I sort of get into it. <laughs> you know, I once took my mum to a game and, she, and she, she got into it big time as well. She started chanting to the other fans using naughty words that she didn't know what the words meant. <laughs> she said, she started going, and my, 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 and she says, what does that word mean? And I just means, it just means they're not very good. <laughs> but there was these, there were these um, people who started throwing bottles onto the pitch, trying to hit the players. Plastic bottles, empty bottles. It wasn't glass bottles, but I'm like, it's, just, it's not what you do, is it? It's just, it's just daft. And there were annou- announcements were coming over the screen. Please do not throw anything on the pitch. Signs started emerging on the signs around the pitch. Please do not throw anything on the pitch. And yet the bottles kept getting thrown on the pitch. And then I started seeing kids started to throw bottles on the pitch. Before you know it, hundreds of people were throwing bottles on the pitch. Why? Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter about the signs or the announcement, none of which influenced the person quite like the person who was sat next to them, who made a decision to throw the bottle, so therefore I'll throw a bottle. Why? Because who you walk with, you often end up becoming like. And in the relational challenges that all of us face in marriage, in family, in friendship, in the workplace, with our neighbours, All of those relational challenges, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how will I respond? How will I react? What will I say? Or what will I do? And you might think, is this the kind of message that you hear in church? But actually, Jesus Jesus was hot on this kind of stuff. Jesus was into how we relate with each other. And, I, and, I, and, and I've ultimately come to this conclusion tonight, which I think I want it to be the central point of this message. If you go away with anything, I think this is the one thing that I want everyone, every one of us to leave with, which is this. Your walk with Jesus, like he says, walk with me on that screen when we read it earlier. Walk with me. Your walk with Jesus ultimately determines how you walk with everybody else. How you walk with Jesus Christ determines how you walk with everybody else. And much of our relational fatigue that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, when I say relational fatigue, just things that have affected your soul, things that have wounded you, things that have stayed with you, things that have hurt you, what people have said or what people haven't said, what partners have done, what friendships have done, what bosses, employees, colleagues have done or ripped you off or burnt you out or or, or spread rumors. That relational fatigue that is on all of our life 
Sometimes much of the relational fatigue that we face is a result of, in fact, the relational fatigue with Jesus. Because I've come to realize that if our relationship with Jesus is right, then often when we go through the relational challenges, there is enough in our relationship with Jesus to help us through that relational circumstance. And when your walk with Jesus is right, it's amazing how your walk with others can become right. But when my walk with Jesus is wrong, sometimes my relationships can be wrong. In the same way, Zacchaeus is up a tree and he is a thieving tax collector claiming more than he should. He's got a bad reputation with his neighbors and with his community. And yet, as Jesus calls him down to have dinner with him and as Zacchaeus gets his life right with Christ, isn't it interesting? Zacchaeus comes out of the house and makes a decision to pay back the money that he has taken, to repair the relationships that have been ruined and to start afresh in the relationships that he has with each other. It's amazing how one encounter with Jesus can change how you encounter with everybody else. And the Bible says in, cha- in two Peter chapter 1 verse 3 as as it comes on the screen here 2 Peter 1 verse 3 it says his divine power I love this verse has given us what everything we need for a godly life that his power his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life now this week I did some study on Greek words and I I went into the, the Greek I went into study that Greek word everything in Greek. And guess what it means? Everything. <laughs> everything. That God has given us everything you need to do life with others really well. God has given you what you need to do marriage, to do friendship, to do work with others, to do relationship. Guess where God has placed it? In you. God has placed everything you need in you. I used to pray for myself and I'd pray for others. And my prayers would sometimes say something like this. God, please would you put hope in this person? God, please would you put love in this person? Please put purity in this person. Please put peace in this person. God, please put holiness in this person. But the more that you begin to realize this scripture, the more you realize, I've got it the way around. Why? Because it's already there. The peace is there. The forgiveness is there. The patience is there. The kindness is there. It's not about God putting it in. It's about you getting it out. It's not about God, I need patience for this scenario. No, God has already given you everything you need. And so if the patience is already in you, there's a job simply to draw out what God has already put in. So we can't go around our daily life going, well, I'm lacking kindness. That I just don't have enough kindness for this person. No, you have been given what? Everything you need to live a godly life. So there is enough kindness, not just for you and your wife, but for you and your work colleagues. There is enough kindness for you and your noisy neighbors. You don't have to say, God, give me more kindness. No, everything is there. You've simply got to draw it out. And a characteristic of a follower of Jesus is the way that they treat people. A characteristic of a follower of Jesus is found in how you treat people and how you treat the relationships in your world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23, it says this. It says, 
leaving you, Jesus leaving you as an example that you should follow what? In his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, I love this, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When the relationship in Jesus' world came at him, he did not retaliate. He did not threat. He did not come back. Why? Because he didn't need to. Why? Because he trusted who his father was. He trusted who his God is. Because God sees it all, church. God sees every conversation. God sees every interaction. God sees every involvement that you have relationally. God sees it. God hears it. And he is, like Peter says, the judge who judges justly. So therefore, if there are relational breakdowns in your world and you're trying to clear your name and you have to go around 25 other people to make sure they know exactly what happened, I need to tell you what happened. I need to tell you what happened. I need to tell you what happened. Because if I don't tell you, you might hear something. Just leave it. Because God sees it, and God hears it, and God has the ability to judge it justly. I love it. It's so easy for what should be primary in our world, and what is primary in our world should be our walk with Jesus. That should be the most important thing in our world. And yet it's so easy for what should be primary to become secondary as we end up giving more attention to the relationships with our friends or the relationship with our enemies than we do with our relationship with Jesus. And tonight, my simple aim is really simple on this night service that we're having together. It's, come on church, let's just get our walk with Jesus right. It's the simplicity of it tonight. Can we just get our walk with Jesus right? And maybe it's not started, it's not been before, but maybe tonight it could start can we get our walk with Jesus right because how you talk about people gives a glimpse into the position of Jesus in your world how you talk about people and how you reference people gives a glimpse doesn't necessarily tell the whole story but it gives a little glimpse into the position of Jesus in your world because if my walk is right then my talk will be right. If my walk with Jesus is right, my talk often takes care of itself. But I don't know if any of you have ever come to a point where you're like, my my talk's just a bit toxic. I'd probably probably better not send that text. (laughs) I'd probably better not have that conversation. I'd probably better not put that Instagram. I'd probably not put that as my Facebook status. Why? Because you know what is coming out of your mouth is just not pure at this moment. Doesn't make you an evil person. Doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't make you someone who doesn't love Jesus. But what it does is what is coming out of your heart, the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when my heart is pure with Christ... My walk is pure with Christ, then my talk can follow. But if my walk is wrong, it's amazing in my own world how my talk can quickly become wrong. <laughs> Let the devil know not today. <laughs> but it sort of was. So. Um, failed misery. It was no surprise to us. Why? Because we knew it was. Because we knew there were issues with 
the tires and we knew there were issues with the lights and we knew there were issues with the brake pads. Why? Because every journey that we went on, there was an issue. <laughs> For a few weeks, you know, when you're just delaying it and you haven't got time to sort it out, you just knew. We knew you could hear it, you could see it, you could, you, like it was visible. Every journey we went on there, we had to pump a tire up or we had to fix a light or we had to pull over or we had to do something with the water. Why? Because the car was not right and so the journey became hard. <laughs> It's the same thing in our own life. The journey becomes difficult when the car's not right. When your journey and your walk with God is right, the journey often becomes right. But sometimes it it stutters and it's broken down. It's pulled off by the side of the road consistently. It comes to a point where you have to say, hey, enough's enough. I can't keep driving a car like this. I can't keep living a life like this. How do I get it fixed? You take your car to a garage who fixes it. You take your life to Jesus Christ who fixes it. Makes it fresh, makes it new, makes it well, services it and gets you back on the road. (laughs) And Jesus is almost like saying, Peter, Peter, get your life right with me and it will be right everywhere else because you've got to you've got to deny some of those wants I know you want to swear and I know you want to say that and I know you want to leave that person I know you want to slam the door in the face but you have to deny some of those wants and I was thinking why is this such a big deal to Jesus Jesus was about the salvation of a soul and he was about eternal life why is he so bothered about getting into this messy world of interpersonal relationships surely it would have been easier for him just to sort of leave that it's like, you know, for those of you that are managers in any sort of workplace, as long as the results are getting delivered, you're not, sometimes you're not too fussed about the, how, a rela- how a relationship is falling out because you're like, well, as long as the results get delivered, I'll sort of turn a blind eye to those people who don't get on in that office and I'll try and ignore the argument that why, because we want to deliver. Surely it would have been a lot easier for Jesus, but no, he's, he's interested equally with the deliverance of salvation as he is the relationships between each of us. It's as important to him. The salvation of a soul and how I love you and how you love me. (laughs) Thank you. Why is this such a big deal to Jesus? Because the gospel is a gospel of peace. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that through Jesus Christ, look what it says. It says he broke down the dividing wall of hostility and he reconciled us to God through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility between humanity and God to an end. There was dispeace between me and you and God. There was this dispeace. Jesus comes, dies on a cross, and guess what? Brings that relationship back into what? A place of peace. So when Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, he's using the analogy of our relationship with God and the peace that is restored through that to also talk about the relationship between the, the context is the Jews and the Gentiles. Two very different types of people who are mixing in a church and it's like, ooh, this is hard because I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile and we, we do things differently here and, and, and there's we sit here and you sit there and, and, and we eat this and we don't eat that and so how are we going to do this thing together? And Paul says, hey, what Jesus has done for us with God, he has also done that for you together. It's a picture of what he did, what God did for you is a picture of what he has done for the Jew and the Gentile, the black and the white, the man and the woman, the young and the old, the enemy and the enemy. He has brought peace to divide the hostility, to bring the hostility to an end. And if you are, if you are in a hostile relationship with somebody, there is peace for that relationship. 
Jesus brought peace to you and God. And Jesus brought peace to you and others. And where there are fractures in our relationships, what it does is it robs your peace. It literally robs your peace. And the Bible says God is not a God of disorder, but God is a God of what? Peace. And so when God sees a relationship that is disorderly, God, God is not happy with that. God can still love that and God can still bless that, but God is a God of peace, not of disorder. And are your relationships in disorder or are they in peace? Because when your walk with Jesus is right, it's not necessarily that all your relationships become peaceful. I just want to clarify that. Just because my relationship with Jesus is right and it's good doesn't make all my relationships peaceful. It can do, and and, and Jesus can miraculously do that. But what it means is, I think it means that you become in peace. That you as a person become in peace. Like Jesus, who was going through a storm, has the ability to rest his head on a cushion and go to sleep despite the chaos around him. Why? Because he was in peace. And when you are in peace, you too can sleep in, in, in boats, on cushions, when there is disorder going on around you in relationships or dysfunction. Why? Because you have found your place of peace. And when you are in that place of peace, you make wiser decisions. You give wiser reactions. You post wise Instagrams, not foolish ones. Why? Because you have found the peace. And you use that peace in the relationships that you have. Somebody once said this, all men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make for peace. You've got to do things that make the peace. It's easy to pray for it and desire it. Oh, we all want peace, but very few do the things that make for it. And as the band come and close with me tonight, your walk with Jesus is everything. Did you hear what I said then? Your walk with Jesus is everything. And everyone in this room tonight, we're all on very different journeys. Some have been you've been walking with some of you have been walking with Jesus for decades. And you've loved every minute of it. Some of you are at the opposite extreme of that and you're literally at the beginning stages of your walk with Jesus. Some of you have had some times when you've been walking and some times when you've stopped walking. Some of you right now are at a place of, I'm not sure I want to keep walking. Some of you are at a place of, how fast should I walk? Should I walk backwards, sideways? Some of you are just a place of confusion in your walk with Jesus. All of us are at a different journey. But wherever you are, can I encourage you to make a decision tonight to position yourself position yourself right with Jesus he isn't running from you tonight he isn't hiding from you tonight he isn't cross with you tonight he wants to walk with you he wants to walk like we read in that first scripture he wants to walk with you and maybe as you begin to walk with him it begins to change your walk with others a few ways to check what your walk with him is like First thing I call it is the distance. The distance. What is, how distant are you from him? How close do you feel to him? Because you can always come closer to him, you know. How close do you feel to Jesus tonight? The Bible says that as you draw nearer to him, that he will draw near to you. So no matter where you are, that distance tonight can be narrowed. The second way I think to check 
your walk with Jesus is, is number one, distance. Number two, your devotion. What does your devotion look like? When I talk about devotion, I don't mean necessarily reading the Bible in one year, as good as that is. But is there a desire to be loving and loyal to him? Is there a desire to follow him? Is there a desire to wake up in the morning and go, Jesus, I, I want to be with you today. I, I devote my life to you. I, I want to know more. I, I, I want to worship you. I, I want to read your word. I want to get around the things of God. I want to devote my life. There's distance. There's the devotion. And the thirdly way to check your walk with Jesus is, is sometimes in your decisions. What decisions are we making? Are our decisions reflective of Jesus? Or are they more reflective of me? Because the more I walk with Jesus, the more my decisions become reflective of him. And where I would have responded like that, because I'm walking with Jesus, I'm going to decide to talk differently. And I'm going to decide to meet with the person across my table differently and I'm going to decide to forgive him and I'm going to decide to encourage her and and, and I'm going to decide to bless them and I'm going to decide why because my decisions are different because of who I'm walking with and tonight our simple desire of our church is is this maybe you're new tonight maybe you're here over these first couple of weeks and you're like figuring us out simple desire I think of our church number one is to be close to Jesus And number two is to be good with people. Let's be close with Jesus and let's be good with people. I think that's the simple life. And I want to live a simple life because life can get complicated. But if my life, number one, can be good with Jesus and if it can be good with people, I want to do that well. That's a simple life.